This SCCM iCritical Care podcast is sponsored by Astute Medical, developer of the NephroCheck Test Renal Biomarkers, TIMP2, and IGF-BP7. Gauge the risk of injury before damage occurs. For more information, go to www.nephrocheck.com. Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kyle Enfield. Today, I will be speaking with John A. Kellum, MD, MCCM, about the Congress sessions, Are Biomarkers Ready for Prime Time?, presented at the 46th Critical Care Congress in Honolulu, Hawaii. Dr. Kellum works as an intensivist in the cardiothoracic ICU at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He is also the Vice Chair for Research and Director of the Center for Critical Care Nephrology in the Department of Critical Care Medicine, also at the University of Pittsburgh. Dr. Kellum has served as principal investigator of a series of studies that have discovered and validated a pair of urinary biomarkers that have formed the basis of the first FDA-approved test for acute kidney injury. Before we begin, do you have any disclosures to share, Dr. Kellum? Yeah, so I, uh, I, I think it's fair to say that I have consulting agreements and receive research funding from a variety of companies and other interested parties in the sort of AKI and, and biomarker space. And the company that has developed the, the test that you mentioned in your introduction, Astute Medical, has also licensed some technology from the University of Pittsburgh, although it won't, uh, it isn't the technology that uh, we'll be talking about today. Great. Thank you for that. In your Congress session, you spent some time in the beginning talking about how our understanding of AKI has evolved over the last several years. And I think it'd be helpful to the listeners if we could start there, because I think it helps inform the rest of the discussion. Uh, sure, I think you're right about that. I think in the, the probably the most important aspect that has come to our attention, uh, or at least that we've begun to better understand in the last decade or so, is that acute kidney injury isn't really a disease. It's a it's a collection of syndromes whose defining characteristic is a rapid decrease in GFR, glomerular filtration, and these syndromes are really quite widely different. I mean, if you think about sepsis and cardiac surgery on the one hand, cardiorenal syndrome, which of course is part of cardiac surgical uh, associated AKI, but not all of it, nephrotoxic AKI, abdominal compartment syndrome, uh, urinary tract obstruction, all these things cause acute kidney injury, but in in very different ways. And so I I think the fundamental understanding that uh, when we speak about the epidemiology of AKI, it's important to understand from a public health standpoint just how big of a problem it is. But when we drill down to try to find mechanism and then hopefully targets for treatment or even the sort of supportive care that we provide currently, we're targeting a disease that's very different than, you know, say myocardial infarction, which is caused by a single pathology in so AKI is really uh, a term that is as specific as the term cancer, and the very different cancers that we have are treated in very different ways. So the different types of AKI need to be treated quite differently. So I think that's probably the most important advance. Related to that is an understanding that we used to think that ischemia was the main cause of a kidney injury, and at least in modern intensive care units outside of certain situations, like for example, an abdominal aortic aneurysm where you have to put a cross clamp and maybe above the renal arteries and you really do get a, an ischemia reperfusion injury. Ischemia is at best a small part of the pathophysiology related to these various conditions and they have a, a much broader and wider and more complex pathophysiology than merely ischemia reperfusion injury and, and that's the next that we've sort of understood. Part of that uh, we'll actually be talking about in a great detail in a moment when we speak about biomarkers because the biomarkers that have 
have become most effective in terms of detecting acute kidney injury respond to part of that pathophysiology, and, and that is where there are circulating damage-associated molecular patterns and pathogen-associated molecular patterns and other nephrotoxic molecules that are putting stress on the kidney, and then as part of that stress response, we're detecting biomarkers in the urine that tell us that the patient is at increased risk of acute kidney injury. So you mentioned the public health interests. Why, why do you think acute injury is an important problem from a public health standpoint, and what are the long-term implications of acute injury in the ICU? Well, acute kidney injury affects 3 million people a year in the United States alone, and it kills one in six. One of the ways to think about acute kidney injury is that it's rarely the only thing that's wrong with the patient. It complicates a variety of other scenarios. So if you get really sick, you develop sepsis, you undergo major surgery, you have trauma, a burn, acute kidney injury may complicate your case. And when it does, everything else becomes sort of twice as bad. Uh, hospital costs are increased by at least a uh, factor of two hospital length of stay goes up, your risk of death increases by at least twofold. So everything becomes worse, much worse, when you develop acute kidney injury. So from a public health standpoint, it's really quite a substantial problem because of how prevalent it is and how much of an effect it has on individual cases. From an individual patient perspective, and of course, you know, as a physician, I care for my patients, you know, one at a time. What individual patients experience is essentially multi-system organ failure. Acute kidney injury affects the immune system. It affects the central nervous system. It leads to fluid overload and platelet dysfunction. And very importantly, it, it leads to both under and overdosing uh, of the medications that we use and leads to adverse drug events. So with that being said, why do you think we need new tests for AKI? What is wrong with the use of just the serum creatinine that we're so familiar with in urine output? Right. So great question. You know, it's interesting. We've been uh, using serum creatinine for, you know, more than half a century. And of course, your output presumably goes back to uh, the, uh, the ancient times in terms of an indicator of uh, kidney dysfunction. But the problem is, is that creatinine is, is both slow, uh, it increases slowly in the blood as, as kidney injury progresses. And it's insensitive to injury itself, so it's a functional marker. It tells you that renal function has reached a point in which about half of the functional capacity or more is decreased. And that's a pretty substantial effect on the kidney before creatinine goes up. And we know this is true because when we take a healthy patient, for example, a healthy uh, donor who's donating a kidney, for example, the donation of that kidney uh, effectively results in loss of half the renal functional mass, and yet creatinine doesn't change. And so creatinine is a very insensitive marker to nephron loss, and it's slow because it takes several hours uh, to days before the, the creatinine reaches a steady state to tell us that there's, in fact, problem. Urine output is a bit faster, obviously, but it's not specific. There are many things that can affect the urine output that are not necessarily uh, kidney injury, anything from volume depletion to obstruction. Furthermore, it's not very sensitive either because we have an entire category of, of acute kidney injury, which is non-oligurex, so the urine output is perfectly fine, and yet the kidney is still failing. So these markers are really quite ineffective in terms of quantifying renal function in the acute state, and they don't really tell us anything about directly about kidney injury. That's a great uh, way of thinking about it. And, and so with these new markers, what are they and how were they discovered? Well, 
let's start with how they were discovered. So most biomarkers that are available clinically have been discovered either using uh, various model systems, uh, animal models, for example, or they've been, uh, in the case of many cancer markers, for example, they've been obtained by taking the tumor, essentially grinding it up, finding a bunch of novel proteins, and then looking for those proteins, for example, in the blood. Uh, you can't really do that with acute kidney injury. And one of the big problems with acute kidney injury is that the animal models don't necessarily uh, recapitulate what happens in the clinical scenario. So many people have produced animal models by uh, taking a healthy animal and putting a cross clamp on the renal artery, which produces a, uh, a warm ischemia reperfusion injury. And that looks nothing like the elderly, septic, radiocontrast, an nephrotoxic antibiotic, total body ischemia reperfusion injury, a shock a state uh, with some right ventricular dysfunction thrown in that we typically see in our patients. So there's enormous heterogeneity in the population in terms of the causes of acute kidney injury, and individual patients may have acute kidney injury on the basis of multiple different processes. So it's been very difficult, therefore, to develop biomarkers of AKI using sort of traditional approaches. So so the, what we did in the in the first study that we published was to, to take a different approach. What we essentially did is we embraced the heterogeneity and we recruited many patients from different centers that had different etiologies of their acute kidney injury, and we measured over 300 markers in the blood and in the urine. And we found the usual suspects. We found uh, markers that had been described previously, uh, NGAL, KIM-1, IL-18, etc. But we found some novel markers that had not been described previously in the setting of acute kidney injury, and two of those markers really stood out above the, the rest, tissue inhibitor of metalloproteinases 2 and insulin-like growth factor binding protein 7. And if you're wondering why you haven't heard of those before, uh, it's because really nobody has in the context of acute kidney injury. And when we discovered that these were the markers that were uh, really uh, above the rest in terms of predicting uh, uh, kidney injury, we, of course, ask the question, you know, why? Why these particular markers? And if you look at these markers, they're very different molecules. They have a very different uh, association with biologic processes. But one place that they overlap, the two of them overlap in terms of regulation of cell cycle. And in particular, they induce something called uh, G1 cell cycle arrest. And what that really means is that in the cell cycle, as the uh, cells prepare for cell division, they have a variety of checkpoints along the way. And one of the earliest checkpoints is what's called G1. And G1 is before S phase, so it's before the cell reproduces copies of all its DNA. And of course, that's a both a dangerous uh, time for the cell because if there's a uh, if there's damage to the DNA and the cell goes into cell cycle it will it will apoptose. And it's also a problem because there's hardly anything the cell does which is more bioenergetically expensive than reproducing all of its DNA. So this is a, a time when the cell really has to be careful to make sure that it's actually able to go into cell cycle and, and it does, it's not experiencing any sort of threat. So we have to remember that the place where the kidney is injured in, in most forms of acute kidney injury that we see in the ICU is in the renal tubules particularly the proximal tubule, is injured. And the tubule cells are epithelial cells in their origin, and they respond like other epithelial cells throughout the body. So your skin cells behave exactly the same way when you go out into the, into the sun and, and maybe get a sunburn. The epithelial cells are sensing that threat from the UV radiation that may be damaging the DNA, and they go into cell cycle arrest. 
And so the kidney cells, when they sense a threat from, for example, circulating damage-associated molecular patterns uh, such as myoglobin or pathogen-associated molecular patterns such as endotoxin, they go into cell cycle arrest as well. And what we're measuring in the urine is essentially the cells communicating with each other and telling each other that it's too unsafe to divide. Uh, and so it's basically telling the cells that there's something going on that's stressing the kidney. And, and this is what we're detecting. So if I can summarize that, what you're saying is that these two biomarkers, TEMP2 and IGFBP7, are showing us uh, a protective function of the cell that's uh, signaling to the kidney that it's an uh, unsafe environment. And so we're really picking up a protective function that is really an indicator of acute damage. Is that a good summary of what you just said? No, that's exactly right. And, and, and the thing that's, that's on the surface maybe a little bit tricky about it is, you know, this is a protective mechanism. So then how does that translate into, you know, markers of, of, of kidney injury? And, and, and the answer really is, you know, we all have um, fire alarms in our building, right? And the alarm is, is protective, right? I mean, it's designed by the engineers to protect the building and its, and its occupants. And when it goes off, it's a protective mechanism. However, when it goes off, sometimes it's a false alarm, but sometimes it's because there's a fire. And so what these molecules really are, are doing is they act like a fire alarm in the kidney. That's a great summary and, and a great way of thinking about that. It definitely is going to help me as I explain this to the residents on rounds with me tomorrow. So how do we take these tests then to the bedside and apply them to our patients? Great question. Uh, and of course, you know, the real challenge for new diagnostics are to essentially integrate them into our clinical practice, right, to figure out how we would use these things. Imagine, for example, if tomorrow we were, for the very first time, given white blood cell counts with all of its, you know, sensitivity, specificity issues, it would take us some time, I think, to understand how to, how to use that test, how to get a feel for what blood cell counts tell us. And, and they're not actually very good. White blood cell count isn't very sensitive or specific for infection. And yet, I dare say that none of us practicing intensive care would be comfortable evaluating a patient for sepsis, for example, without knowing what the white blood cell count is. Fortunately, biomarkers that have been developed in recent years undergo a rigorous FDA approval process. And so they have to have much better sensitivity and specificity than uh, some of these more traditional lab tests. But that doesn't mean necessarily that they're easier to integrate into our clinical practice. So the goal is with these biomarkers is to uh, essentially change the, the, the equation so that we move from reactive to proactive, right? So currently what we do basically is we monitor serum creatinine and, and urine output and we discover hopefully as early as possible when a patient has acute kidney injury. But by the time we note that, hours have passed and, and uh, nephrotoxic drug doses have been given and sepsis has gone on unidentified and right ventricular dysfunction has lingered without our attention. And we then begin the diagnostic workup. We say, oh gosh, why is this patient developing acute kidney injury, what's happening to this patient? Is it the, uh, a nephrotoxic medication that I can stop? Is it a, an undiagnosed condition like sepsis, which I can treat? Is there a problem with the cardiac function that, that I can address? And so that's what we currently do, but it's a very reactive process, and it happens very late because our markers are late. So the goal here would be able to sort of change that around. So if these markers are elevated, you then say, well, gosh, it looks like this kidney is now stressed. That's what the markers are telling us. And there's a great risk then that this patient will go on 
and to develop acute kidney injury. What can I do that's different today that I couldn't do uh, without knowing that this patient was uh, was at this kind of risk? And one of the, the biggest targets, of course, is our, is our medications. You know, we, we give a lot of nephrotoxic medication in the ICU. Many of our antibiotics, for example, are nephrotoxic. And, and we make decisions about which patients to give those medications to and what doses to give them on the basis of what we think the kidney function is like. You know, I work in a transplant, a cardiac transplant ICU with heart transplants and lung transplants, and we we dose our immunosuppression because the calcineurin inhibitors are so nephrotoxic on the basis of of the levels, of course, but also on the basis of our anticipated renal function, particularly in the the early days uh, uh, right after transplant, patients receive induction therapy, and we try to delay initiation of the calcineurin inhibitors. And we make that decision largely on, on clinical grounds. And so one of the ways that these markers have helped us is it tells us whether the kidney is, in fact, likely to go into uh, into kidney injury. And we can time our medications and our dose our medications and select our medications better. Are there any other tools available to clinicians right now to do that same sort of risk assessment so that we can be less reactionary and more proactive? Well, one of the things that we can do, but it's it's actually a much uh, it's a it's a much harder lift, uh, is develop uh, clinical warning systems that uh, essentially examine the threats to patients, in, including the types of uh, medications they're receiving and, and their underlying susceptibilities, and uh, essentially integrate that in a way that gives us some sense of whether or not the patient is at is at risk. But but that's only really telling us a little bit about what the the risk to the patient is in general. It doesn't tell us what's happening inside the kidney, and that's why we're excited about biomarkers, novel biomarkers of, of kidney stress, because they're telling us something different. In my clinical practice at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, we have an electronic alert that tells us when creatinine is changing and goes back and finds baseline creatinine. So that's very helpful. And we're, we're developing uh, systems to help the pharmacist help us uh, identify patients with, with multiple exposures to nephrotoxic medications so we can understand stress. And we'll use those tools to manage patients uh, along with monitoring renal functions such as creatinine and urine output. And this notion of adding in a biomarker test in addition to that to look at another aspect, which is the, the, the what the kidney is thinking essentially, is really quite helpful because it adds something else that I don't have access to clinically. It sounds like many of us are working on similar areas about trying to predict and sounds also like the advent of these biomarkers will really aid in those developments to try to prevent patients from developing acute kidney injury. What do you think or see as the future for AKI research in the ICU? Well, I, I, I think the, the, the next step, if you will, uh, is to move from purely diagnostic uh, approaches to say, look, you know, can we detect acute kidney injury early? Um, the evidence uh, now from many, many studies, uh, not just the ones that we did, but ones done around the world indicates that these markers are effective in predicting the development of AKI. The, the next step really is to integrate that into care bundles. And so um, there's a recent study uh, from uh, Germany, from Alex Arbach's uh, and Melanie Mersch's uh, group in which uh, they did just that. They screened cardiac surgical patients and they found that the, the third or so of the patients that had an elevated TIM2 and IGF-BP7 in the urine were uh, then subjected to a bundle of care, KDGO bundle, if you will, uh, the Kidney Disease Improving Global Outcomes Clinical Practice Guideline indicates a variety of areas such as uh, avoiding nephrotoxic drugs, uh, monitoring carefully for fluids, and uh, using inotropes, et cetera, to treat uh, heart dysfunction. And 
what they found was that when they applied that bundle to the patients who were positive for this biomarker, they could reduce the risk of uh, or the development of uh, acute kidney injury, not only all acute kidney injury, but they had a significant impact on, on the uh, smaller number of patients who had moderate to severe acute kidney injury, KDGO stage two uh, or three. In fact, it was so successful that given the approach that they used, the number needed to treat was only about six, whereas had they applied this therapy to all the patients, it would have been very cost-ineffective because the number needed to treat would be around 30. That is a, a remarkable a number needed to treat of six. Um, that's uh, really exciting news. Before we sign off, do you have anything you'd like to add? No, I mean, I think we've been, uh, I think we've been pretty, pretty thorough. I, I think it's nice to see that these diagnostic tests are coming into clinical practice. And I think the other thing we haven't necessarily covered, which is worth noting, is that they're also enabling uh, the development of new therapies uh, because just like the application of the KDGO bundle that we just talked about, application of new preventive therapies would be very difficult to deliver to all patients because of the, the costs associated with giving them to everyone and the, and the risks of exposing patients to potential side effects. Whereas if you could select the right patients to, to give them to that would have the most benefit, you could not only have a positive study, which of course is important, but you could actually benefit more patients and harm fewer, which is, I think, the, the ultimate goal. Well, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule today to talk to all of us and thank the listeners for joining us today. This concludes another edition of iCritical Care Podcast. Please check out our website, www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information. For the iCritical Care Podcast, I'm Dr. Kyle Enfield. This SCCM iCritical Care Podcast is sponsored by Astute Medical, developer of the NephroCheck Test Renal Biomarkers, TIMP2, and IGF-BP7. Gauge the risk of injury before damage occurs. For more information, go to www.nephrocheck.com. Kyle Enfield, MD, is an Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care at the University of Virginia. He received his undergraduate degree from the University of Oklahoma. He received his joint medical and master's degrees in epidemiology at the University of Oklahoma Health Science Center and went on to complete his residency and fellowship at the University of Virginia. In July of 2013, Dr. Enfield was appointed as the medical director of the Medical Intensive Care Unit at the University of Virginia. From 2009 through July 2016, he was the assistant hospital epidemiologist there and he remains the co-medical director of the Special Pathogens Unit. Dr. Enfield's clinical interests are in critical care medicine and transport of critically ill patients. His academic interests are the epidemiology and prevention of healthcare-associated conditions, including multidrug resistant organisms acquisition and healthcare-associated infections. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.